You're listening to The Reality Show, hosted by Dan Rutstein, president of immersive tech company, Laduma. Each episode delves deep into the power and potential of immersive technology in business, entertainment, or sport, now and in the future. Welcome back to The Reality Show. I'm excited to have yet another fascinating guest who's got both a great story about what they're doing now, but a great history about what they worked on before. So, as always, no introductions other than to say welcome to the podcast. Please tell me who you are, what you're doing now. Great. I'm Ewan Johnson. I'm the Chief Creative Officer and one of the founders of Arcturus. We are focused on building a new technology platform for post-production of volumetric video. Uh, Before we founded Arcturus, I was a digital cinematographer, originally starting my career at Pixar uh, with Toy Story, helping design and build our cinematography pipeline, as well as designing the camera work and staging of many of the films there. Uh, After Pixar, I I also uh, worked at DreamWorks Animation for another 12 years, where I helped produce films such as um, the Madagascar films, How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda, among many others. Fantastic. My my children might even <laughs> listen to this podcast. So um, at some point we're going to obviously talk about volumetric capture and all the things that you do now, but it's silly not to start with Pixar because it's fascinating. So tell me a bit about the sort of the Pixar story, as much what you learned about innovation to inform your future career as anything else. Sure. Um, well, I joined Pixar right at the beginning of Toy Story. So it was entering into the phase of building a computer animated film when there was no model for how to tell stories with computer animation. It had been used in visual effects. We had been blown away by moments in Jurassic Park and the Terminator films where you saw those great spectacles combining with live action. But how do you actually bring computer-generated characters to life, make them feel alive? Um, So it was a lot of exploration. It was a lot of discovery. Uh, inventing new pipelines, writing new software so that you could even render the characters, you could compose and treat the cameras as if they were or a physical camera, um, and finding that essence of where do you make the character feel believable. And I think that was the most important lesson I learned out of working uh, with everybody there, is that focus on making the audience feel the experience and understand it and understand how to ground it in a reality that they can relate to so that they can focus on the story and not be just looking at spectacle. When you were working there, is it, did you realize what it all was at the time? Did you realize this was going to sort of change the, the movie industry, the animation industry, or was it just you were doing a job, this stuff was quite clever and you were working through it? Um, It's a great question, and it's one where you say yes, but also you really don't know, right? Because like any creative process, when you're focused on telling a story and and delivering an experience for people, you have a firm belief in the characters in the world you're building and how that relates to a, a story, and you believe it's going to resonate with people. But until that actually gets out there in the world and you see people's reactions, you never really know how successful you're going to be with it. Um, I joined Pixar right out of college, and I really expected that 
we would end up doing one, maybe two films, and then would end up going back to like the visual effects world. Sorry to interrupt. So what did you study at college? Um, I studied art and technology. Okay. So um, I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and they had a, a computer lab there that was focused on how do you apply new technologies to the artistic process. And this was digital imaging. We had a couple of SGIs that were running very early version, versions of Alias Wavefront. Um, and a lot of it there was actually having to learn about the process yourself because we didn't have a big computer science department to teach the concepts of programming and, and computer animation. So you had to learn and discover. And that was a great kind of test bed for learning how to make a computer animated film because we were walking into a world that didn't have a template for how to tell it. So obviously Toy Story 4 is out now. Maybe it was last week. In LA everything happened slightly earlier than the rest of the world. Right. But um, obviously Pixar's gone a long way during that time. How different, if you look at what they're producing now in terms of Toy Story 4 compared to what you worked on in Toy Story, is it building on something that you worked on? Is it almost so different now that it's effectively started from scratch? I, it's very similar because, uh, I mean, keep in mind, I, I haven't been with Pixar for almost 15 years now, but the core fundamental process and belief is find an engaging story, believe in the materials, build a world for people to inhabit, and use technology to push it. But technology is not there for spectacle. It's there for story and to support the experience. And what has changed and evolved is the look of what we can do, the complexity and number of sets that you can put a character in during the course of a movie has grown. But the central core moment of everything that we're doing is in service of telling a story is still core there and key. And that's what makes them continue to be successful as, as filmmakers. Yeah, and that's great to hear. And our regular listeners to this will know that the, the, almost the whole point of this is about, it's about using tech to tell stories and, and the whole immersive world, whether it's virtual reality, augmented reality, immersive projection, it's just storytelling on a different canvas. So obviously that was the core of Pixar. So winding forward to, to what you're doing now, the central core remains the same, immersive storytelling, but mm -hmm. just in a completely different industry. So tell us about Arcturus and what you're doing here. Sure. So um, I'm going to start just backing up and just describing volumetric video for yep. people, just because that may be a term that people are not familiar with. So volumetric video is a new capture technology where instead of simply capturing a 2D image of a performance, they capture a, a performer from an array of cameras that surrounds them. The result of this performance is stitched together into a 3D copy of the performance that can now be viewed from any angle. This is incredibly compelling because suddenly you have a sense of physical presence and you have a human performer that can be used in augmented reality or, or virtual reality. Whereas before you would have to, before biometric capture, you would have to create a digital double, which would take months of work for, for many people to design, build a character rig for it, and then hand animate all of their performance, trying to replicate all of the nuances 
of somebody's movement, characteristics, behaviors, and how even the cloth and hair moved. All of this gets captured in a volumetric capture. And for me, this is what was really appealing about the medium as a whole, was now you have this ability to have physical presence. What, as I looked at that and what I thought about, specifically with augmented reality and virtual reality, was this is great, but how do I relate to the performer? If I'm seeing somebody in AR, if I'm seeing somebody in VR, I need to feel a direct connection. Where does direct connection come from? It comes from responsiveness. So if you and I are holding a conversation, if I'm never looking at you, you don't feel like I'm connected with you. So that was one of the areas that I looked at with volumetric capture and I said, how does that get better? And we said, we can make these characters responsive. We can build a system that allows the volumetric captures to be rigged with a control system that can respond to the viewer. And now you can have eye contact, you can have head tracking, and that completely changes the nature of a human performer's sense of presence. Absolutely. So give an example of how you're, you're using this. Sure. So one example is a piece we did with Arnold and Santander Bank last year called In Someone Else's Shoes. And the, what, this is what we called life-scale AR. So you experience a um, woman who is a registered nurse, this is based upon a true story, uh, living out of her car in, in Oakland. And she's telling the story of how even though she's a working professional, she he does in her day-to-day -day life, she's helping others. She can't afford to help herself. And at the very end of the, this, you kind of go through the steps of her day so you get to see what it's like to, to be in this type of situation. At the very end of the experience, she comes back, her car's been booted. She can no longer have a home to live in, and she finally breaks down to ask for help which is a familiar story in San Francisco at the moment, I think it would be fair to say. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, actually, the, the amazing thing is like, in my neighborhood just outside of San Francisco proper, it's a one square mile city, we have over 70 people living out of their cars. Mm. And um, that's a shame, it's something that needs to be rectified. Absolutely. So at, at the very end of this experience, which you're watching in augmented reality and you're seeing her go through her day, she finally breaks down to ask for help. And as she looks up to you to ask, won't you help me? As you move around her, her head tracks where you are. And mm -hmm. so you have her physically acting, asking you for help. And it's amazingly powerful. It's really subtle. People don't think about it. They don't realize what that's what's happening, but it just makes them connect. And in the first three days of the app being launched, we raised enough money to put over 200 people in homes. And mm -hmm. so that, speaks a lot to the power of the media. Yeah. And I think the, the there's different statistics but about depending on who you're speaking to, but I know that in general, in terms of when apps like this or versions of even even other simpler forms of immersive technology are used for fundraising, it's often at least double is the, the engagement level because yeah. you're being able you're able to create Empathy and intimacy using the technology. So that's and that's a great example. And sorry, who was the client that you were? Uh, it was Santander Bank and Arnold. Okay. So give me another example. I think I saw um, you've done some work, obviously very different to raising money in that sense, but um, clothing uh, and using it as a sort of 
catwalk, mm-hmm. uh, augmented reality catwalk. So just talk me through that example. Um, so we personally haven't done any direct work with resale, resale clothing, um, but it's one of those areas that I really believe volumetric video is going to come into its own as, as an opportunity. You know, one of the things that's unique about clothing as something that you're going to purchase is it's not just about the color or the cut, it's about how it moves, it's about how it looks in different lighting scenarios. And so uh, what I think is going to be tremendously powerful about uh, using volumetric video for shopping experiences is that idea of you can have a personal catwalk, you can look at something on Amazon and then you can see it in in your home and see how it moves, see how it responds. You can uh, lay out clothes and other pieces of wardrobe that you have next to it, life-size, and really get a sense for a piece of clothing before you purchase it. And one of the things that's really key about this is the turnaround time, right? Like if you were going to try to take a fashion show and recreate it in a way that people could view it from any angle using CG techniques, you'd have months of time to, to reproduce the computer-generated versions of these clothes. You can take a new line of fashion on, with, a, with a model into a volumetric capture studio, and a week later you can have your virtual runway. And so it's something that can be very topical. I think that's really important when you think about getting media experiences into the hands of the viewers, especially in today's era of Instagram and Twitter, where People want to experience what's now. They don't want to experience what was six months ago. So when you sit down with a new potential client, and although the world we operate in, our clients are becoming much more aware of the technology, but there's still many a client you sit down with and they know they want to do something cool and clever in the world of immersive technology and VR and AR, but they're, never, they're not always quite sure what they want. What, how do you explain what the capabilities that you've got are and why they should think about using, I suppose your technology, but yeah. why they should think about using this technology? It actually starts more with questions than explanations. I find that a lot of times working with clients, it's about finding out what they're trying to achieve and how we can best support them in that. And so I'll spend a lot of time like talking with them about the campaign, what previous campaigns they've done, and start looking into like what are the aspects that you're trying to achieve? Is it presence? Is it interactivity? Uh, what, what do you know your audience responds to the best? Because there's a lot of different ways that volumetric video can help them. There is that sense of physical presence and reality. Um, there's the interactivity. There's the, the special effect and, and wow moments. Um, none of these are mutually exclusive, but really it's typically going to be one of these that really ends up being the linchpin for a particular campaign or experience. Uh, so, for example, when we were working with Asad Malik and Riot on A Jester's Tale, it was really about ensuring that there was responsive interaction. What the story was about is questioning, is reality what you're experiencing or is it a simulation? And so you needed to feel like the, the volumetric boy that was talking to you was, was responsive. And that was the key. Santander Bank, it was a physical presence in the experience and that last moment of just feeling the, the, the eye contact. So in your 
personal life? Are you deep into tech? Are you using this stuff all the time? Or is this a, a work thing and then out of work you're disengaged from the digital world? Uh, I personally am never disengaged from the digital okay. world. For, for me, the tech and media and storytelling is all an intertwined experience. And I think a lot of this comes back comes from my art background and history of studying art and working with artists and being an artist myself is you're never an expert if you're not always doing and if you're not always exploring and the way and lessons that you take from one medium can transpose and be used in another medium are key and crucial to how you develop and how you continue to grow. So obviously you know, you've played across different mm-hmm. sectors of this space. Do you think having that film background is obviously helping you with the space that you're in now? Very much so. And this was actually a question that a lot of my friends asked me when I first left uh, DreamWorks Animation to start exploring virtual reality and augmented reality. They, they explicitly said, you've spent your entire life designing the frame, making sure that people are looking at exactly the point in space you want them to at any one instance of a film. Why are you going to a place where you're giving that up? And my answer was, I'm not. That's the same role. As creators in augmented reality, as creators in virtual reality, our goal is to guide you to a specific moment and feeling and experience. What we have now is instead of a strict frame which we're working within, we're trying to guide you to create the frame that we want you to experience. But that's very, it's still very similar. And I draw on it every day, uh, whether it is getting into the emotion of a particular or, or story beat for an experience that we're building, whether it's thinking about how do I take what seems like a very dry technical process and make it accessible to artists that are going to be working with our tools and and our pipeline to what's the next challenge that we need to focus on to to continue to innovate in this space. Obviously, you're not the the first person to this. People have won Oscars for filmmaking and then won special Oscars in in VR. You know, that's that's happened. Do, Do you miss the film world? Or do you think because you're... As you explained it, it, you're doing a different version of the same thing, but it's hard to miss it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say I miss it because I wouldn't say I've left it, right? The, the crossover between film and VR and, and AR is, incre- is very rich and deep. And the types of people that you interact with, the type of problems you're encountering are, are very similar. Um, what is unique and special is it's really brought me back to my roots. When we went into building Toy Story, there were lots of times where it's like, I have a moment that I want people to experience and I don't have technology that can deliver that. So how do I get there? What do I need to build so that I can focus on delivering these stories? And that's what we're doing today. How do you make volumetric video be responsive? How do you make it something that is easily distributable across a wide range of devices so that people can experience the wonder of these stories? And that's, that's what film was. Um, and a lot of the people that we work, work with are film studios, they're production studios, and so it's still about content in that aspect. 
And in your day-to-day work now, how much time are you spending thinking about content and creativity? And how much are you spending time thinking about the technology to make that content or creativity work? Um, they're intertwined. Um, it's, they're, they're both a constant. Uh, what I think is really unique and special about Arcturus and, and our founding team is my CTO, Devin Horseman, is very much a technical person who thinks with the mind of the artist. And I'm very much an artist who thinks with the mind of a technical person. And so we have this really dynamic overlap where we're both supporting each other and pushing the tech and the story forward. Um, I don't think they'll ever be disentangled. And that's what I love about it. So what happens next in this space? So um, technology is moving quickly. Now storytelling is still storytelling, but what technological breakthroughs are we on the verge of that will make your job easier or make it easier for you to bring some of these visions to life? So accessibility of capture for people is really one of the big breakthrough moments and that's happening now. If we looked at capture two or three years ago for volumetric video, there were a handful of studios that you could go to to do the volumetric capture. It was expensive, it was months of turnaround time till you actually got the data and then it was a black box that you could just play. What we've seen now, just in the last year, there's now over 32 capture studios worldwide that people can go to. to I think I saw something on your, maybe your social media, we actually did a global map of where they are. Yeah, we did a a global map because we felt like that was one of the things that was lacking from the landscape for people who are curious and thinking about volumetric video. The first step is always, if I'm going to adopt a new medium to for a campaign or for a story or, or for a game, how do I, where do I turn to, to do that? And you would have to know volumetric video to, to figure out where those spaces were. And so we decided to release the infographic of the worldwide capture stages. And the number of stages is gonna be going up and the cost of using them is gonna be going down. The number of stages is gonna be going up, the cost of them is going down. There's actually more than were listed on that map because some are still in stealth mode, for example. Um, And as you said, cost and technology for acquisition is rapidly getting cheaper. Uh, Microsoft just released the Connect 2 sensors, which are gonna be perfect for incorporating into smaller volumetric capture stages. We're seeing a lot more focus on accessible stages for kind of the prosumer level. Uh, Verizon, for example, just brought, built stages in New York and LA um, that are perfect for day-to-day captures. So a lot of that accessibility of capture is there. And now with our tools coming in to give people the post-production and distribution and support, the ability for creators to really work with the medium is expanding. Uh, so I think the next thing that we need is we really need the Toy Story of volumetric video. We need somebody to, that creates that first experience that people look at and say, I had no idea that was possible. I feel connected to these characters, to these emotions, to these moments, and I completely forgot there was technology there. Yeah. 
Well, that's a great way of phrasing it, the, sort of the, the toy story of volumetric capture. In terms of people understanding what you do, mm-hmm. either in terms of clients or just when you're out and about doing the things that you do, do people really understand what's possible and how straightforward it is and, and the things you can do with it? Or are you spending a lot of your time just explaining the principle of it over and over again? It's still a lot of explanation and introduction. That's kind of the magic of it, right? It's a new technology and it's a chance to like open people's eyes to new ways of telling stories and communicating. Um, and that's, that's fun and exciting. I think that what we had with um, the Billboard Music Awards last month was finally this opportunity where people saw a volumetric video on a global stage. We had Madonna singing, we had four volumetric copies of her, her coming in and out of the performance. And most people who saw that experience won't say, that was volumetric video. But they can say, I saw something that I had no idea how they did that, and that was amazing. I think that's a big breakthrough moment. Tell me a bit more about that project, because it, it was, there was a lot of mm-hmm. chatter about it. Um, you know, within our company and our Slack channels, we have a other tech companies thing, right. and somebody threw it in there. There's a whole conversation around it. So, tell mm. us a bit more about the genesis of that. Uh, so, there were a lot of companies that worked on that that project: uh, Reflector out of Montreal, Sequin AR out of Connecticut, um, and then we did post production work on it as well. Um, I can't really speak to the history of the origin of the project. We came into it at a stage when it was, it was already moving, um, but it's this opportunity to, or how do you bring Madonna to life with herself? And so a lot of the captures, the captures were done in Dimension Studio in London, and then we worked closely with Reflector and Sequin to build the volumetric assets that ultimately ended up in the live broadcast. Um, and what I think a lot of people don't understand when they see the video on, on YouTube is this was all composited live. So you had Madonna performing and it was choreographed in such a way that the volumetric video was playing back and, and working with her and her performance. And um, it's another great example of how real-time media and game engines are influencing the creative process because it was a core integration with that. So Madonna isn't quite Toy Story, but do you think that was a a step forward in people's understanding, even if they, like you say, they didn't actually know what it was they were seeing, but Mm -hmm. people talked about that as a big show and how can we do a version of that? Absolutely. And one of the things you're always looking for as you're introducing people to technology is use cases. And we talk a lot with people about the idea of it, volumetric video being something that's more than just an element of augmented reality and virtual reality. And this is a great example of something you can point to. And it's, it's a named star. And why does she want to use volumetric video? Because like most performers, her image, her motions, the way she dresses is her brand. And it can't be a facsimile of her that's dancing on stage. It's got to be her. And so there's no other way to do that than volumetric video. So these big one-off events are great for sort of sending out the message in terms of what can be done. In terms of the sort of day-to-day revenue-generating, monetizing model, which is what 
you know, the investors are thinking about and the hardware manufacturers are thinking about. Where's the where's the regular pipeline? Where's the regular flow? Is it is it brands using AR as part of sales conversion, or is there more to it than that? Right now, it's it's brands and entertainment, and this is the natural flow of new technology. Entertainment and brands typically embrace new technologies as a way of engaging with customers, partially through the wow factor at first. And then as accessibility and costs of production come down, you see it, it merge and move more into kind of the prosumer or content creation games and experience market. We're still at the stage right now of major brands, major entertainment labels really focusing on it. So when you came out of college, you went into working for Pixar, which is obviously a great start to anybody what advice would you give to people who are at university at the moment at college at the moment studying various the varying forms of immersive technology because obviously the things they're working on now will not be the things that exist when they finish their careers so what advice would you give to a young person wanting to get into this world sure i have two pieces of advice and i i actually tell myself this advice every day um the first is Fix the problems you care about, right? So, and what I mean by that is you're going to do the best work on any project when you're focused on things that you have a passion and a desire to work on and solve. And that's where your greatest successes are going to come. The second is understand that the problems you're solving today will be different than the problems you solve tomorrow. So don't focus on a single piece of technology as being the solution that's going to carry you through the end. Always be learning, always be studying, always be questioning, is this the best way that I'm approaching the tasks at hand today? Um, and always question. I and mean, it's that's one of the, the most important things that I always kind of say is, um, what if? So what if we could make human holograms be responsive? What if they could be utilized in live broadcast as well as in virtual reality and augmented reality? That's what kind of led us along this journey of, of founding Arcturus. It's what I think will continue to drive and build us as we, we grow as a company. So I mean, that's a great answer, thank you. On, on, on the, I'm gonna put the what if back to you. So. See, I talked about what would change in the industry and you talked about you know, more stages and more accessibility for them. But in terms of a bigger technological leap, in terms of either related to specifically sort of volumetric video and capture, or maybe more broadly in the immersive tech storytelling world, what if what's the big what if technology for you that will change everything about the way we all do these jobs? That's a long question to answer. Um, and I don't know if there's really one thing. I think that like historically, if we look back at the advent and growth of visual effects, we see that it started with a, a few companies, Pixar, DreamWorks, um, Disney, all developing their own technology to solve the problems at hand. 
and they proved that you could use technology to tell interesting stories, to create interesting visuals. This then led to companies building tools that supplied the creators with easier ways of doing it. And you saw a gradual transition to off-the-shelf tools. These tools built into platforms um, and then became accessible to large numbers of people. And when you get it accessible to large numbers of people, then you have the ability for individual creators to iterate fast and to build things that maybe you couldn't have anticipated being built. And I see the same type of thing happening um, in technology and in particular in volumetric video. I will be glad when everybody can have a volumetric capture stage in, in their home. It won't be at the quality of a, a million dollar stage that has a ton of technicians running it, but it'll have innovation and it'll have people trying to tell stories in unique ways. Uh, and so I guess, I said it was a long answer, I guess the short answer is accessibility. As we get the technology more accessible to people, we provide them the tools that allow them to create and iterate rapidly. That's what's really going to drive th this particular immersive medium further. Um, when you look at aug augmented reality in particular, we still haven't seen the big rush of augmented reality apps that you would expect given how easy Apple and, and Unity and Unreal and uh, Google have all focused on building tools for, for making AR apps. And that's because the CG creation process is laborious. It takes time, it takes iteration, and it's not something that you can do a performance and instantly see it. Volumetric video gives that you that opportunity. So I actually think that from an augmented reality experience, volumetric video is the springboard that's going to enable a lot more AR our productions to happen. It's still going to take time, but I believe it's there. Brilliant. That's great. Super. Ewan, thank you very much for your time and for making it accessible. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Reality Show. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on social media at Reality Show Pod. Thank you.